Productions. Algar Productions. You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 296, covering Equinox Part 2 and Survival Instinct. Hi, friends. It's time for the next season of Voyager. What are we at? Six now? Six. Six out of, out of seven. That ain't too shabby. Yeah, we've only got about 50 episodes left. Let's put it that way and feel terrible about ourselves. Bleh. Damn it, I was feeling real good about myself for a minute there, Al. I was going to do a dance. Well, go, I mean, go ahead. I don't want to deprive the audience of your dance. Okay. That's a great Jake Kearney. Doing some more, I guess. Hey. Is that it? Yeah, that's it. Okay. I can't dance for very long. I'm not in very good shape. That's okay. Plus, it's early. We usually start these first thing in the morning, so, you know. Not really prime dancing time. It's not time. dance weather. No. I don't really have the dance fever just yet. Mm. Not really on the soul train. Mm. I hate um. the soul train. It runs by my house at two in the morning. <laughs> Be right in the middle of a decent sleep and outside you hear soul train. Damn you, Don Cornelius. Ah. I hate that guy. Actually, I love that guy. But I hate um. his train. <laughs> I hate trains. I mean, it's the fucking 21st century. Why are we still using trains? Let's get real here for a second. Can we just get rid of all trains? Please. Please, just, like... Just trains. No, thank you. Like, it's twenty. It's almost 2017, for Christ's sake. Yeah. Why do we still need to haul things with trains? I mean, trains are what you measure the success of a despot on. Oh, well, I got the trains running on time. Maybe if we took the trains away, there wouldn't be any more dictators. Yeah, now the trains never run on time. Yeah. Therefore, like, fascism is dead. Like, let's be real here for a second. We got planes and automobiles. We're good. Yeah. Plus, I mean, we made the d- definitive movie of the, the three of them. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't, you don't need them anymore. They made that movie. Yeah, and we made that back in the 80s. Like, yeah, we good. get it. Yep. Steve Martin and uh, John Candy destroyed the train. Yeah, they absolutely did. They they Well, that was like a mic drop on trains. Mm-hmm. Everything has been said that needs to be said about trains. We're done now. Yeah. Between that and Strangers on a Train, like, we're good. Yeah, crisscross. Yeah. And then crisscross made you jump, jump. <laughs> so help me, they will make you jump, jump. You come, so in, we're, you come into we're, my home and you don't jump, jump? <laughs> so we're entering an interesting period of Star Trek. Yes, interesting. Um, well, no, no, in, in that this is the first time for us in many, many, many years mm-hmm. that there's only one Star Trek show on the air. Ah, that's true. We were in a long period of DS9 overlapping with Next Gen, and then the Next Gen movies overlapping with everything, yeah. and then Voyager overlapping with DS9. DS9 is now over, so from now on, there will only be one Star Trek show. All the talent is focused on one show instead of split between two shows, and that means the quality should go up, right? It sure, you sure would think that, wouldn't you? Because you got you got all those talented people, and you could pick the very best ones and put them all in one show. Because there's not two shows to split them between now, mm-hmm. right? You would think that. That so far does not appear to be the case. However, our very favorite—I mean, I, I don't want to speak for you, but certainly oh, my no. very favorite Star Trek writer. Let's be real here. Fucking Ron Moore is the best since 
I like since the original series, I would say when we had like David Gerald. I but the thing is, he wrote one great original series episode. Like, I don't know that there's a lot of guys from back in the day that wrote quite as many. Like the thing about Ron Moore is consistency. Mm -hmm. I would give uh, or uh, DC Fontana. DC Fontana is also good, but maybe five or ten episodes. Mm, True. Like Ron Moore has like 30 or 40 good episodes. Mm -hmm. That's the thing is like maybe he's not quite as good as those guys, but over time he's written more good stuff because he's had a chance to write more good stuff. Yeah. Uh, He's joined Voyager. Uh, Spoilers. He will quit Voyager in about three weeks. (laughs) But I've gotten everything I need to make Battlestar Galactica. I'm out of here. Okay. I all my ideas are good ideas. So I just want to make sure you didn't have the same good ideas. So I wasn't stealing from you. And nope, no good ideas here. Bye. So long, idiots. Uh, yeah, it's a very famous thing that has been talked about for years. Uh, it's in the, the 50 year mission, but it's in a lot of other places just that Ron Moore came to Voyager, did not like the way they ran things. I mean, his, his like big writing partner for years and years was Brandon Braga. Mm. They wrote a couple of the movies together. They wrote a bunch of big episodes together. They're, they're old friends from way back. Mm. And he came to the show and he's like, uh, this is how you're running things, huh? Uh, well, I can't be part of this. This is not how I would run things. This Goodbye. Is terrible. Where's Iris Stephen Bear? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> he's, beating, he's beating up on Rick Berman. Good. No, he wants to, but it's too late. No, he's beating someone up. Yeah, Do not cross Iris Stephen Bear. Or he will hit you in the kneecaps. Mm-hmm. He's an angry little dwarf. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, but this is all to set the stage for, for season six. Uh, uh, and, and let me tell you first, uh, opening with the, the, uh, the resolution of the two-parter Equinox or Equinox, depending on where you come from and mm-hmm. so forth. Uh, remember when we discussed part one of Equinox and it's incredibly unsatisfying cliffhanger, which involved a bat flying toward the captain's hair? Well, it will shock and surprise you to learn that Kate was not killed by the ghostly apparition from another another dimension. And in fact, the peril that viewers had to wait an entire summer to see resolved is resolved before the opening credits. What? So, yeah, everything is exactly where we left it. The mutinous crew of the Equinox has captured Seven and the Doctor, and they are shoveling more dickbats into the fire to hasten their escape. Nothing new here, except... Now Kate is obsessed, much like a character from a classic novel. Ooh, I know this one. Feels like it's come up in Star Trek before. M-something. Frankenstein. Yep, nailed it. Suddenly, Kate is all about pursuing the Equinox and Captain Ransom. At any cost, the line must be drawn here and no further. She's even willing to straight-up murder one of his crewmen because reasons. Meanwhile, on the Equinox, Captain Ransom is having a change of heart despite the total absence of any little white doves. Now he wants to do the moral thing while Kate wants to violate her principles. Who saw this coming? No, seriously, did anyone see this coming? Because it's very stupid and it doesn't seem to have any logical reason. Chuck, in a stunning display of any emotion whatsoever, says he doesn't approve of Kate's methods, regardless of whether she gets results. Unfortunately, she's the lousy chief in this scenario, and she asks for his badge and gun. Uh, com badge and phaser. Except she doesn't actually ask for those things, she just suspends him from duty. Eventually, Voyager catches up with Equinox, which explodes. A handful of their crewmen remain on Voyager, though, and Kate gives them a speech about how they're on probation because they can't be trusted. This would almost be a subtle bit of irony given her previous space madness, except that we then get a scene on the bridge where the Voyager plaque has fallen off the wall and Chuck verbally underlines the symbolism just in case you missed it. Eh? Get it? Do you get it? Eh? Welcome to another exhaustingly fantastic season of Voyager! 
This there's, one there's a there's a quote I want to. Oh yeah, please roll that before shit we out. start our discussion mm-hmm. uh, from Ron Moore joining the the writing staff and going over like what they had planned. And he's like, "Do you have any idea what the first part was about? What were you trying to do? No, no, uh, okay." Uh, and and really, I, I I recommend going to Memory Alpha, uh, memory alpha.com which we consult regularly, and look up the entry on Equinox Part Two because there's two great big blocks of text from Ron Moore. Uh, but but the end of the quote. Uh, it sums it up nicely. He says, the show in general just kind of sucks, frankly. <laughs> so. Thanks, Ron. Yeah, I'm with you, man. <laughs> really appreciate that. Uh, it's good to know we're all on the same page here. Yeah, we often check in on what the writers thought and say, really, they were proud of this one, huh? Well, may- maybe the rest of them were, but he sure wasn't. <laughs> Ron Moore, Voyager was dumb. And he didn't write this one, to be fair. He was just on the staff and, and helped, you know, mm-hmm. do the writer's room punch up and all that, I imagine. I mean, that's a good idea, you know, with DS9 wrapping up. Of course he's going to go over to Voyager to help out. Like, yeah, let's hand, like, it's like I was saying, let's handpick the best guys and bring them over to our team and mm-hmm. then make one super team. Yeah. But <laughs> sure, no. not, sure doesn't show. No. Just so. Uh. Yeah, this one made me really angry. I don't think it affected you quite so badly. Though. No, you were really mad about this one. I just I was, was. Eh, you know. It's the first part was eh, the second part is eh, you know? Well, one of the things I remember, I mean, because we have the supplemental in between, it's sometimes hard to remember because it's been a couple of weeks. Yeah. But, um, I, my, my vague memory is that we uh, thought it was padded and thought that it didn't really justify a two-parter. Mm-hmm. And did you feel the same way about this as Absol- well? Like maybe they could have consolidated these two into just one episode? Yeah, see, the the, the idea of the, the other crew, and we talked about this before, the idea of the other crew who have been forced to do things that they're not proud of to stay alive, I think it's a, it's a really, really good idea. But yeah. it's just like, like, uh, I don't get why, like, you mentioned this, I don't get why Kate is so mad. Well, and yeah, that's really, that's my bad thing. Like, like I, everybody's acting way out of character in this mm. episode. Like, Chakotay's finally kind of a decent character, and there's actually some good conflict with Kate at the yep. expense of the two of, like, Chakotay suddenly growing a spine mm-hmm. and Kate suddenly acting crazy. And it's yeah. like, if if we were just meeting these two, this would be great, but neither of them is acting the way they act. Yeah, like, Kate's way out of character in this one. Like, yeah. she, one of the things I like about her is that she's usually very level-headed about most everything, honestly. Yeah. Like, I I get that, like, Ransom betrayed his uniform and, like, Starfleet and everything, but, yeah, like... Yeah, but she never met this guy before. Yeah, exactly. She doesn't know this fucking dude. Like, yeah. he just showed up yesterday. Yep. And, I mean, yeah, okay, he's, like, she's gonna have to fix this problem with them burning corpses for fuel. Yep. But, like, she's so angry just that like i don't i will sacrifice anything to make sure this guy dies that's not kate at all no it's not and it really does get to the point i said this not as a joke in my summary she almost kills a dude Mm -hmm. she's she's straight up torturing him she's straight up jack bauer stuffing a towel down his throat torturing him yeah she she like ties him to a chair puts him in a room opens the fucking dick bat portal yep and says, uh, "We're gonna leave now, and and let this thing murder you unless you tell us how to catch uh, the ran- catch the uh, equinox and and get ransom." Yeah, and that- so long. And Chuck has to stop her. Yeah, like what? That is not how Captain Janeway acts. That is ridiculous. No, that's I can't think of anyone on the ship who would act like that, but mm-hmm. especially starting with her. Yeah, exactly. Like maybe back going back to um to Suter. Mm-hmm. 
like that's that this is how a, a psychopath acts this is not how a captain acts yeah it's ridiculous like come on and it, like i said there's a scene at the end where the, the brass plaque has fallen off the wall and they're like well we better put this back oh, up. God, everything's that, back to normal oh my god that is so heavy-handed and just, look the plaque yep. fell off the wall it's never done that before all the battles we've been in together and it never fell off the wall well maybe it fell off the wall because you went crazy captain yeah. Yeah, and now we'll put it back up, and everything's the yeah, way it was, and we'll never bring this up again. We're back to normal. Ugh. Hey, remember when? You, hey, Kate, remember when you almost tortured that guy to death? Nope. Then neither that should you. That doesn't sound like me. I don't yeah. think that I'm the kind of person who would torture anyone. I'm good friends with Leonardo da Vinci. <laughs> And then going to uh, the the opposite side, like uh, more out of character. I've only known Captain Ransom for one episode, mm-hmm. and he suddenly just starts acting wildly out of character. It's like they make a big deal out of removing the doctor's uh, ethics program and, yep. and completely changing his personality. That seems like what happened to both the captains. Yeah, so someone went into their programs and took something out and made them different and. Like, why are they acting like this now? I, my, f- the thing that pisses me off with Ransom is his weird, like, face turn at the halfway point of this episode. Like, yeah, we've been setting this dude up as the bad guy since he showed up in the first episode. Yeah, and Star Trek has a great uh, tradition of Starfleet captains gone crazy. Like, th- stick with it. That'd be good. Yeah, but then, like, halfway through that, this episode, suddenly he's like, I don't, I, the things I did, I regret. And now there's this other fucking guy who's just like, no, we will kill all the bats and get home on time. It's like, why do we have this third bat, like, this second bad guy? We don't, like, we were doing just fine with this guy. I mean, that is the standard when the villain has a change of heart. Suddenly his henchman, like, steps up and says, but you said this was the way, and now I will finish your work. I like, just think it needlessly complicates an already pretty I agree. stupid episode. Like, I absolutely agree. Like, Ransom like could be a pretty decent bad guy. I think maybe the writers realized if we have Kate suddenly acting ruthless for some reason, and then we also have this guy continuing to be ruthless, then... Who do we root for? And it's like, the only way to make this work is to suddenly soften him. Well, we but certainly it, it can't root for Chakotay. I'll tell you that it, much for nothing. It, it didn't work at all, but yeah. I think that's what they were trying to do. And yeah, the thing is, I was kind of rooting for Chakotay. Like, if you if you step outside the fact that he doesn't act like this most of the time, he has on occasion. This isn't the first time, but mm-hmm. it comes up rarely. I actually liked what they were doing with him. He was the pacifist. He was the, dude, you're going too far. You need to step off. And, and I like that, except... It was so wildly inconsistent with what we now know of his character that it just felt like, where did this come from? But I mean, I liked in and of itself. I did like that conflict. I really did. I just it didn't make any sense. Yeah. Six years in. Why are you uh, suddenly now doing this? Oh, shit. My uh, do something alarm just went off. Wow. I've been waiting on that for a long time. Yeah. It just it didn't. I mean. I, really, though, your your bad thing kind of ties into mine as far as the, the, the conflict between the two captains. Yeah, like, this felt exactly like uh, the old uh, Cisco versus Edenton stuff from, mm-hmm. uh, like, from a DS9, but without any of the subtlety. And I say that as we're, and we're, talk, we're talking about a show where Eddington literally waves a copy of Les Mis at Ben and calls him Javert. Like, yeah, it was not Eddington was not the most subtle defector when like, he when he switched. There was no mistaking that he switched. We, we talked about this at the time. That is a dude who loves not being on Cisco's side. Yep, that is a dude who read a book and wants everyone to know he read a book. 
Oh, you're coming after me again, Javert. Stop telling me that! Jesus Christ! Okay, we get it. You like Les Mis. Jesus, okay? I'm a big musical fan of my own stuff. You don't hear me talking about it all the damn time. No, he's talking about the novel, not the musical. Oh. <laughs> there's a novel? I know there's a novel. <laughs> <laughs> but Cisco doesn't. Nice, nice character work there. I'm a big Hamilton fan. <laughs> he probably is. Me and everyone else, apparently. That that show that that probably survived into the twenty fourth century, I assume, and uh, he probably is. It's classical music, like sabotage. <laughs> uh, what did you manage to find as a good thing? Uh I like that last shot of Ransom on the beach before he dies. So throughout this episode, we find out that Ransom has been putting on a thing so that he can. Go look at a, a beach. When oh, they talked about this in the first part, or they got, like, at some point in their their parallel travels through the Delta Quadrant, they found something similar to a holodeck. Like, their small science ship doesn't have a holodeck, but they found this, like, virtual headset from these aliens. Yeah, so he'll just go off and look at a beach, you know, yeah. to remind himself of the beaches exist. Um and his the last thing he does in the episode before his ship explodes and he sacrifices himself or whatever is put his thing on and look at his beach and I don't know. I thought that was okay. I I don't know. Like, I see what they were trying to do with his escape. Like, because the, the worse things got, the more he went into his little escapist world. Sure. And I like that. And I like that we're not in a fully functioning holodeck, that he's just looking at an image and not, like, mistaking reality, you know, like they do with the holodeck all the time. Like... It's it's mostly a screensaver. Mm-hmm. There's not much to it. There's not much interaction to it. It just it's you're on the beach and that's it. It's and, literally uh, Strong Bad's uh, taking a break uh, program. Yeah, exactly. And I I don't know. I kind of like that, but they were trying to use it as something heavier than like I don't think they pulled off what they were trying to do. What yeah. they were trying to do was something a little symbolic and 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 deep and meaningful, and it just. Look like a guy looking at a beach. This episode just felt like a lot of throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks, and none of it did. You know? Like, they have all these ideas, and none of them work, and they don't seem to want to invest in any of them enough to make them work. No. Like, we talked about how they, like, we talked about how, like, this episode doesn't need two episodes, but, like... It's got the idea enough ideas for two episodes. They're just all executed badly. That's that's what I was about to say. Yeah, on the one hand, it's way too long for a two-parter, but on the other hand, all those ideas sure go by unexplored. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't really make a lot of sense. Like, what? Yeah. Um, um I don't my, know. My, go ahead. Go. No. Well, I was going to say mine cuz yours tie the rest of yours ties into mine. Yeah, or yeah. You wanted to use the only good thing, and I got there first. So there's a lot of really nice Doctor and Seven scenes in this. Um, yeah. The last one where... Uh, so we talked about last time um, the Equinox has their own EMH who they've taken the uh, ethics chip out of. I actually like that idea. Oh, the idea is good. I'll get to that in a minute. Um mm-hmm. But, like, so they they end up with uh, the, the Doctor's switch ships... Mm-hmm. And uh, the Equinox crew just takes the uh, ethics chip out of our doctor, who then starts operating on Seven in a actually really creepy scene. Yeah, he's he's singing really, like, simple, innocent songs to her while he's doing it. And making her, like, sing back to him, too, which is really yep. upsetting. Because he's poking around in her brain and he can make her do that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But there's, a, there's actually a really good scene at the end where, like... You know, he's like, I'm sorry I tortured you. And she's like, it's fine. You weren't, you know, you. Mm. And then they get back together quite, and they're like, oh, we're friends again. 
over torture. Yeah, which, it, it reminded me of that scene at the end of Lore's Magic Castle where Data went evil and tortured Jordy, and then they were friends again. Yeah, except that in this case, I kind of like it. Kind of doesn't bother me that it, there's no lasting because it's you know it's it's seven. She doesn't like. It, it feels like she doesn't care. Well, I guess if a human did it, it would be different. Yeah. But the fact that she understands that the doctor is software based and it's easy mm-hmm. to switch off the part of the software that makes him compassionate. I guess yeah. she can relate to that. So that makes sense. I, I, I don't know. It was weird. And I liked that it. it was weird. No, I could see that. The singing stuff was good. I thought it went along on for a little too long, but it, it, uh, o- overall it was pretty good. It did, but they both sing very pretty. So they do. And there was a cute thing at the end when they when everything's wrapped up where she's like, you were flat. Yep. You 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 weren't quite right. We weren't uh, harmonizing the right way. I actually did it wrong. While we're on the subject, I want to talk about ethicsless doctor, like okay. our ethicsless doctor. Yeah, because like throughout the episode, I keep like after they switched off his ethics chip, I kept expecting them to like him to like betray them. You know, like yeah, of course, he's secretly been like working with Seven the whole time. Well, and taking that, away his ethics, he still has to want to do evil. That just yeah, means he's capable of doing evil, but he's still him. Yeah, that's that's my thing. Like like. Like, ha- like having uh, having him, like, just automatically join the Equinox crew just because he's not, he doesn't have ethics? That doesn't make any sense. He no, would, he still has a personality and he can still make a choice. Yeah, he's he'd just still be, capable of murdering. Yeah, he'd be loyal to Voyager still. He would just be quite happy to murder everybody. It's, and, like, it's like if you turned off the safety protocols on the holodeck, but there wasn't anything dangerous happening. Yeah. Kind of like that. Like, that sounds so much, that, so- that sounds so much more interesting to me. Yeah. It's like our doctor who's just like, yeah, I don't fuck. I killed like 18 guys. Yeah, because otherwise you're just making him exactly like the base model the EMH on mm-hmm. the Equinox instead of this like more advanced, you know, been on nonstop for five years and is has now evolved into something very different. Yeah, like having having him willing to torture seven in a way that is going to save both of them. It seems so much more interesting to me. Yeah, but that twist never came. On the yeah. other hand. Is a very predictable twist, and it didn't come. So give them partial credit. For I guess not that's true. Doing the thing that you expect them to do. I guess. Damn. Enjoy your D minus Equinox Part Two. <laughs> Hang it on the fridge. Mm-hmm. Good work. Uh, speaking of like the, all the seven stuff, like when you know, because we they they captured her at the end of Part One. Sure. So Part Two picks up with her being you know just over there, and the, the captain saying, "And I got plans for you." Bah, ha, ha. He does this weird, like he gets way up in her personal space, and he's mm-hmm. touching her, and it's ah. don't be like, gross, did, grossy. Did Did you notice that? Like no, but where he's I, like stroking her cheek, ew, like, no, holding her shoulders, and like you're on my crew now. And Ugh. they never overtly said he was into her in any kind of romantic or sexual way, but it was like the way he played all the scenes was just. Added this extra creepy physical element. Well, that I did and not he like. also starts seeing her in his beach simulations. So yeah, and should... I couldn't tell if that was his fantasy or her, like infiltrating it. Yeah, that's what I thought at first, and then it's like that. No, you know, just one more, just one more thing that didn't make any sense. They didn't do any work on. Yeah, I did not get it at all. Uh, what else? I don't know. I'm looking at my notes here. There aren't very many. No. The thing is, I usually we usually switch episodes about halfway through, but I also know we spent the first five minutes talking about uh, mm-hmm. who knows what. I, that, that's fine. Yeah, we don't have it. Doesn't have to be some good-looking aliens show up, I guess. Yeah, I mean, but we talked about that last time. Yeah, they look the same still. They're mm-hmm. still good. Uh, yeah, I don't know. My my feeling on this is that like like I get why Janeway's pissed, but. 
Um, uh, the Equinox is also a really beat up piece of shit ship, whereas yep. Voyager is, you know, it's still in pretty good working condition considering well, everything they've been through. When, just before they got sent to the Delta Quadrant, it was literally their first mission. It was brand new off yeah. the assembly line. Everything was in perfect working condition. You had all your torpedoes. Mm-hmm. You had all your, like, everything's up to full spec. Like, the Equinox is limping through space. There are massive holes in it sealed up with duct tape. Like That's what we wanted Voyager to be by the end of Season yes. 5, but it's not. Yeah. I just, I feel like, you know, if nothing else, Kate needs to, like, respect the fact that they're still alive out there. Yeah. I mean, look, no one's advocating throwing corpses on the fire to make the ship go I faster. I think you are advocating that. <clears throat> it right. sure sounds like you are. <laughs> Why do you hate these dick bats so much, Matt? I just do. Well, look, I was there with you during the animated series. You don't have to justify your dick bat hatred to me. Listen, I completely support throwing Slimer on the fire. <laughs> I hate him so much. He's not great. Ugh. Uh, anything else? Mm, no. I just, like, this really, like, if you want to know what bugs me about Voyager in, like, uh, in the big picture, like, on the whole, watch this one. This one sums it all up. There's a lot of great potential here. This could have been amazing, mm-hmm. and it was just kind of dumb and inconsistent. This is Voyager in miniature. Yep. Uh, and my quote is seven being sassy because we always got that at least, if yep. nothing else. You know, once we get our enhanced warp drive back online, we'll be on our way home. But it'll still take months to get there. You can spend that time in the brig or you can become part of this crew. I prefer the latter. I prefer the brig. I just even in my even in my darkest moments, there's always seven. Yep. I mean, just, there used to just be the doctor, but now there's the doctor and seven. So yep. we got a couple of them now. Yep. Yep. So that's good. And we got Naomi Wildman who yes, pops up in the, the next occasional one. Occasional Na- Naomi Wildman. Yes, she's like an occasional table. Uh, why, why don't you tell us about uh, Survival Instinct? Survival Ron Moore's Instinct. first of two episodes. All right. So somewhere in the distant past of eight years ago, a stupid Borg sphere crashes on some dumb planet. The only survivors, seven of nine, two of nine, three of nine, and pound sign. Nobody likes pound sign. <laughs> Meanwhile, in the future, I mean, the flashback was also in the future. The whole show's in the future, but like now, season six of Voyager. Speaking of Voyager, Voyager is docked at a big cool space station like that, like I like. While everyone else is shopping or whatever, and Tom and Harry are getting up to boyish shenanigans like the writers think we like, Seven is approached by three scarred-up cyborg dudes. Like, really scarred. One guy looks like Batman's back in that one picture of Batman's back. Turns out that there's Seven's old crewmates from Borg Camp, and their brains are linked in a weird little mini-collective. They escape from the collective, but they're still linked because they're losers, and this is what they deserve. First, they try to, I don't know, sabotage Seven, but it doesn't work, so Seven tries to help them because she's okay like that. Also, she's super guilty because it turns out that the reason they're linked is because when they were shipwrecked, all three other Borgs started reverting back to human, and Seven reassimilated them together. Nice going, Seven. So, anyway, the Borg guys are dying, and the Doctor says that they can either return to the Borg or die within a month but no longer be linked. After much soul-searching, Seven lets their link be broken so they can live out their final weeks as individuals, figuring it better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. Nobody has any idea what that has to do with anything. And as her former crewmates go their separate ways, Seven reflects that this must have been the worst camp reunion of all time. 
I actually had the uh, rain and hell serve in heaven thing in my notes. <laughs> oddly enough. Really? Yes. That's weird. I didn't see that. Yeah, no, it's it's in there near the end of uh, near the end of the. It's like my uh, fourth from the bottom note there. Oh, weird. So we both made that obscure uh, for no reason. Yeah, no, I don't. I get it. They they could they could live a, a a decent life for a tiny amount of time or live a long life in in a torturous situation. Mm-hmm. Like I understand completely. Um, I really like this one. I did too. This might be one of my favorite episodes of Voyager ever. I really. I, I don't know like that I go episode. that far, but uh, it's, it's quite good. And it, uh-huh. and the premise on paper is like uh, another Borg one, like another like people yanked out of the collective. How have we done this? Like, what's left to say? Turns out there's something left to say. Yeah, that like I I love this idea. Like, first of all, I love shipwrecked Borg. I think that concept is hilarious yeah but they've done that before they did it with Hugh already yeah i love i love how even when they first shipwrecked these guys are already making weird small talk i don't know if that's because they've already started to become separated from the collective (laughs) but i I mean that's my good thing is i like the concept of watching the borg wrestle with slowly getting their humanity or whatever whatever it back and the horror like they played up the horror very well. And oh, yeah. We we often say that Star Trek doesn't do horror well. This time it did, and it wasn't full-on something's coming to murder you horror. It was slow, something's in your mind, and the universe is empty and cold and alone kind of mm-hmm. horror. And, like, I like that. And I like, um... They, they actually pulled it off. No, there's and, a uh, there's a great scene where one of the, the uh, pound sign looks at herself and is just like, oh my god. What did they wait, do to me? Wait, the chick is who you called Pound Sign that nobody liked? She was my favorite one. <laughs> That's weird. Pound Sign was was assigned randomly. Okay. I was going to say, pound, like, Pound Sign to me was the fat guy. Yeah. He's more Pound he, Sign. The the private pile of this mini collective. <laughs> well, I'm bored, too. <laughs> Why do they make me fat and have red hair? Three of nine. Are you permitted to have a donut? <laughs> just in the bathroom assembling and reassembling his arm <laughs> I, I really like i liked that seven was the most hardcore like because at first it was like really there's something in her past where she became human that kind of makes what's happening to her now less special mm-hmm. and it turns out no it turns out it happened to the rest of them and she's the only one that completely remained borg oh yeah and i like that about her i like that it's taken her two or three seasons to get to the point where she's starting to feel a bit human yeah. because she's fought this anytime she's had the chance. She's like, no, that's not who I am. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing is, and we keep getting back to this, and Voyager doesn't always like um, make a big deal out of it, which I appreciate. But you can always sort of see it is like the fact that Seven was assimilated as a kid. This is my good thing, by the way. The fact mm-hmm. is that like, you know, that, that means that, like when she grows up, like there's not there's not really much to go back to. Yeah, she's mentioned that before. Why would I go back to Earth? I have no memory of Earth. Yeah, exactly. Like like all she remembers is being a kid and she doesn't remember much of that. So like her sort of default yeah, point half, first, half of those kid memories are being terrified also. Yes. But like her default personality is just sort of the Borg personality. It's also why I, I always figured why she's still like this. Whereas like we had like Picard getting back to being normal pretty quickly when he was. Well, and, and actually that was my bad thing was they made such a big deal out of yanking Picard out of the collective. Mm-hmm. Like it's supposed to be super hard to turn from Borg to human again. And, but then we got Hugh 
Mm. And then we got seven and these guys. So I guess it's not actually that hard to turn back. And don't forget that entire planet of Borg that we ran into in like season two. Oh, oh, wait, what? Wasn't it like that? that oh, in like this one. Okay, I thought you meant season two of Next Gen. Oh, no, wait, no. What? There was like that whole town of Borgs that like. Right, when, when Chakotay briefly got pulled into yeah, yeah. that thing. They were still using the collective hive mind thing, but they were kind of still individuals. Yeah, I remember now. No, it actually turns out that uh, escaping from the Borg is super easy. Like, the Borg have just been s- sending out propaganda that it's it's really hard to yeah. get away from them. I, like, I don't usually feel like, like that's the case, but this episode really brought that point home. Mm-hmm. That th- these guys were separated from the collective. Like, they crashed on the planet, and the next day they were already like, hey, yeah, I- I'm a guy, not we, but me. And it's like, really? I thought this was a big deal. No, it's not. That said, it was still, like, it was very effectively done. Oh, absolutely. It's just everything we've been told to this point is that it's it's supposed to be nigh impossible once they've got you to get them back. No, it's nigh possible. Apparently so. Mm-hmm. You just need to get the pieces off. And we, we had another, and I'm tired of bringing this up, I really am, but we had another example of an Alpha Quadrant race being brought to the Delta Quadrant to be Borg. That still does not make sense to me. Oh, yeah, one of them was a Bajoran. Yeah, the chick was yeah. Bajoran. And it's like, come on, man. And she was on a ship. She was on a starship. Mm-hmm. And it's not like they got lost in the Delta Quadrant. They She got assimilated in the Alpha Quadrant, and now she's here way the fuck on the other side of the galaxy that Voyager's going to take 75 years to get across. That doesn't make sense. They brought her back. Space is big. No, it's not very big. I, I Look, I used to have the poster of all of Star Trek space, okay? It yeah, wasn't that big. Well, the poster wasn't. It was about the size. It was about the size of a uh, you know a poster you'd fold up and put in a magazine. Yeah. No, it was it was four uh, letter sized pieces of paper. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. I I had the poster. I know exactly yeah. what you're talking. And that about. that was to scale. So, you, presumably, yeah. Mm-hmm. Star Trek universe not very big. Nope. I guess not. I mean, they are always bumping into stuff. Mm-hmm. And, of course, if you ever get off of the poster, then, you know, your eyes turn silver and uh, you try to kill your friend. Or if you, like, go to the middle of it where the staple hole is, you find God. Yeah. What does God need with a staple? (laughs) Well, it's his red stapler. (laughs) I could could burn the building down. I could burn the universe down. Said God. (laughs) I actually buy that that God is is God. What the fuck is that Stephen Root? Milton. I'm like, who the fuck? What the fuck's that guy's real name? Bill Dotrieve. Yeah, you know, that guy. Yeah. One thing I really liked about um about this episode of mm-hmm. Voyager, not of not of the Stephen Root show. No. Voyager. Stephen Root played a Klingon at one point. He was in Star Trek. That's before. a good call. Uh, I, yeah. he, he would make a very unique Klingon. Yeah, he was. I think it was Unification. He was the Klingon captain. Oh, that's right. That brought Picard and Data to uh, Romulus. Mm, good for him. But uh, yeah, um, but uh, one thing I really liked about this episode, and again, this is one of the two episodes Ron Moore wrote before he quit. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, they there is very effective use of the entire cast. Like almost every character has a bit, and it mm-hmm. doesn't always contribute directly to the to the story. But there's a nice little like there's a whimsical bit before we get to the the horror stuff. At the beginning, where, like Matt said, they, they docked at a space station and they're doing sort of an R&R thing. And there's a cultural exchange happening. So the ship is full of aliens. And mm-hmm. g- good job on the aliens, by the way. A lot of, yep. lot of different weird looking aliens. Um, but there's various sort of comedic things like like lighter, like, um, le- you know, some levity before the, the heavy stuff. Yep. <laughs> Kate's trying to drag some monstrosity around into her uh, ready room. 
like some kind of what was it a giant tree or something like that yeah it was like a weird like she's being coat first of all she's being attacked thing. by a tree that's it and chakotay was was hang uh, uh bringing the coat rack thing around yeah and then uh, at one point, uh, uh, Tom and Harry get in trouble for uh, a, a bar fight on the station because that's what happens with your young guys mm-hmm. when they're on leave. That's just what happens. And there's, there's, there's a lot of cute little like vignettes, I would say, that I really liked. That might be the best scene I've seen with Harry since yeah. the show started. I Certainly since the special boy era started. Yeah, definitely. Like, Harry was pretty inoffensive to us until the special boy episode, and then it all went downhill from uh, yeah. there. But yeah, this was this was the standard, and I, I know why they do this in Star Trek a lot, because it happens in the real military a lot. You mm-hmm. send sailors out on leave, and inevitably a couple of them get in a fight or or offend the local customs in some way, and you got to bring them back and yell at them. That, mm-hmm. that just happens. And but- and I, I totally believe that Tom and Harry get in this kind of trouble a lot, and... Mm-hmm. I don't always buy these two as the as the young hotshots, but in this case, it totally made sense. They got in a fight accidentally and, you know, didn't know what to do. And I love fucking Janeway's, well, did you win at the end? Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Good. Yep. Like, I love that kind of crap. It's the, yeah, the, me too. The Janeway family stuff again, and I really, like, when that's done well, I love it. Yeah, I mean, on the one hand, she's disappointed in her boys for breaking the, mirror, the, uh, the, the, the neighbor's window, mm-hmm. but on the other hand... Uh, Hey, that that baseball swing's coming along real nice. Mm-hmm. Good work, Tom. Yeah. Well, what you, about boy? me? How'd I do? Oh, you're a special boy. Let me let me reach into my jar of stickers. Oh boy. Yeah. Here you go. You did a grape job. Oh god. Great. Now you're gonna smell like grape all day. <laughs> That's the smell of a winner, Tom. <laughs> It sure is, Harry. It sure is. <laughs> oh, boy. But no, I liked they were just cute little, like, you know, 22 short films about Voyager. Mm-hmm. Just like, let's follow each of the crew and what they're getting up to today. Yeah. And there was some great Naomi stuff, which actually ended up sort of tying the episode together. Yeah. Like, like, we realized that uh, Seven thinks of her as family. Yeah, that was really nice. That's actually my quote, if you want to play that here. Naomi Wildman, do you consider me to be family? I... I don't, I mean, well, yes. Is that okay? I have no objection. Do you think of me as family? Yes. Look, there were two great Seven and Naomi scenes in this episode. There was this, and there was uh, the uh, two of them trying to get through the crowd. Oh, God, yeah, at the beginning. Excuse me. Excuse me. You Aren't will they? move. <laughs> and the entire fucking hallway just empties out. Yep. That's that's me going places with Amanda with my social anxiety. Yep. I'm I'm very quietly trying to make my way through and she'll just say, Get out of my way. <laughs> it's nice. Ah. Um but yeah, that was that was great. And uh I, I like that Naomi's not just there to lighten the mood or make things funny or make things mm-hmm. cute. Like there was a point to her. There's like she's this sort of emotional anchor. Yeah, this, we, really now, like. we, we've talked about this before, but her and Seven's friendship is the best in the show right now. Yeah, but there's a like the thing is, I, I don't disagree with you for a second, but I like it. I liked it on the level of these two are funny and cute the same mm-hmm. way I like Seven and the Doctor. But there's also something more deep there, more profound there, exactly. which is Seven, like the captain's supposed to be teaching her about humanity. But 
as we've said, as you just mentioned a minute ago, mm. she was assimilated as a kid. So really, the one she relates to the most is the one that reminds her the most of what she was like when she was human, which yeah. is small. <clears throat> like Naomi's the closest thing to the way she used to be than anybody else. Yep. So this is her path back to humanity more than more than any of the grownups, mm-hmm. which I really like. Yeah. No, it's it's really good. Yeah, it is. This yeah. is a good episode. And I, I actually liked this weird collective, like these weird guys. I didn't like that uh, this is a standard Star Trek plot beat. First, you got to try to trick them, and then they decide to help you anyway. Yeah, that was actually my, I mean, it's not my entire bad thing, but like, it really felt like. Well, your bad thing just says needed more Naomi. Yeah, I thought of a better one later, though. Okay, sorry. Is like, it bugs me that the, the Seven's band camp friends the first thing they try to do is trick her. Yeah. Whereas, like, like I can guarantee if you just went up and, at, and said to her, hey, we used to be in the collective with you, we're linked weirdly, and we need help. Like, it's, I can guarantee Seven's like, oh, shit, no, come on, we're going to we're going to the med bay right now. I'm going to try and help you. I mean, I, before you were super hardcore Borg, but I know now you're trying to be more compassionate, and also you spend your days doing science, so this feels tailor-made for what we want. Yeah. Like, uh, help? Someone who's good at science, who is sympathetic to our plight. On the other hand, their entire perception of her is the hardcore drill instructor that forced them back to the collective. I suppose that's true. Uh, from their perspective, it's like, I mean, yeah, they say she's changed, but I don't know. She's the one that pulled us back into that nightmare. I, mm. I don't know, man. So I can see that. But yeah. on the other hand, just as a from the audience perspective, watching someone try to trick someone out of a thing or steal a thing from them and then never mind, I'll help you. Just I'll help you. Yeah. Like, I, I'm tired of that. That's that's a tired cliche. It, it just it feels like, yeah, oh, well, first of all, they have to be enemies. And, you know, yeah, it's the it's the old superhero fight thing. Yeah. And I, I'm so tired of that. You know how many yeah. times I've watched Iron Man and Captain America fight? I'm done. <laughs> Yeah, but they did it recently in a movie just a couple of years ago, or this year, actually. This year, yeah. No, it was, and it was great, but that's the last time. I'm done. Yeah, no, that's it. Now it's now it's been told. It's like, okay, you nailed it. Goodbye. Yep. Um, But no, I liked I, I liked these guys, like the, yeah. these three guys. <laughs> they did this cool, uh, and I say cool, and I mean cool. It sounds like I don't mean it, but I do. This cool Huey, Dewey, and Louie thing. <laughs> yes, that where was they really neat. would say each other's sentences like... Each would say a couple of words. Mm. And the actors actually were in really good sync. Like they, they had a really good rhythm going where it yeah. felt natural and it didn't feel like they were, okay, now you say your part. Like it, it overlapped and it, it felt right. It felt like they were all sharing one big mind. Yeah. No, it was really that. well. Like I, I was watching, I watch these with Mal in the room most of the time if she's home. And yeah. this is one of the few times where she's turned, like sort of turned to me and go, this is actually pretty good. Yeah. And she's not one that, like, keeps up with all the finer points of it. Like, she comes in and out, right? So. Yeah, no, which, I mean, she wasn't watching. She was just playing video games and sort of listening, like, half year. Right, listening. but what I'm saying is she brings sort of the outsider perspective. Yeah, exactly. She brings the, I am the casual watcher of Voyager because my husband watches it. It's on sometimes. Mm-hmm. But she's not as engaged in it as you are. So if she says it's good, then that means it's not just good to a hardcore fan. It's good to someone no. just coming in from time to time. Yeah. So... That's good. That that's like an extra like layer of legitimacy to me. Like if if it doesn't just work to some like the longtime viewer, but to someone who doesn't watch that often, then that makes it even better. Yeah, no, this one gets the mouth seal of approval, which I have a box of here somewhere. I, I imagine she knitted them. Yeah, she did. Yeah. They're little knitted stickers with her giving yep. the thumbs up on it. Do they smell like grape? Uh no. 
but only because yeah. I don't know how to do that. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, yeah, I need more Naomi. <laughs> All episodes do. Well, yes. I like Bolana's new Gina Davis haircut. I I go back and forth on that. They're really softening Bolana's look, and I think it's a good look for. Roxanne Biggs Dawson, but mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think it's the right look for Bellana Torres. Mm. I think yeah, I, I might have said that. this before, but it just she's she's wearing more makeup. She's she's got like she's obviously putting more time into her hair, like trying to pretty herself up, mm. and it's a more just a more traditionally feminine look. And again, I I like the look. It just doesn't really fit what I think of Bellana. Maybe I just don't think of Bellana the way the writers do. I don't know. It just, I don't know. It doesn't seem right. to It's like when Kira started doing more elaborate stuff with her look. It didn't, like, she yeah, looked prettier, but it didn't really work. Yeah, I can, I, I can see your point there. Why would Kira spend any amount of time putting on makeup and fixing her hair? That just doesn't feel like Kira to me. So, yeah, no. Hair is done. I'm out. Yeah. Whereas, on the other hand, if if Tom and Bellana shared quarters, I would imagine Tom probably dominates the uh, the makeup mirror. Not that he's putting on makeup necessarily, but he's spending a lot of time plucking stray hairs, making sure his hair is perfect. Oh, I gotta look pretty. I'm seeing Harry yeah. in half an hour. <laughs> look, I'm on the bridge. I'm the first face they see after the captain on the on the view screen, okay? Listen, Bolana, there's a certain uh, there's a certain responsibility that goes with looking handsome when we're talking to new to new aliens. Yeah, it's a whole first contact thing. I gotta look good. Whereas you're back hiding in engineering somewhere. They don't see you. Covered, in, covered in grease. Yeah. Shut up, Tom. Of course, on the other hand, he probably likes to provoke her a little just to get the rough thing going. Oh, obviously. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. What else? Uh, What else? Uh, Oh, Seven is a terrible haggler. Uh, How do you mean? Uh, So the episode begins with uh, one of her guys delivering a box full of Borg. uh, I forget what they are. Box box full of Borg. Uh Uh-huh. And the guy's like, I was told that you that you're they were a former drone and you you know you might be interested in these. The guy opens the box and it's full of these things, and she just takes it from him and goes, "The captain will give you whatever money you want." Right. Seven. Uh, you know. Seven. At least talk him down a little bit. Like, come on. I imagine the Starfleet guys don't know much about that kind of thing anyway, because no money. But the Borg know even less about that. They they assimilated Ferengi. They know they know everything there is to know Have about haggling. Sorry? Have they, have they assimilated any Ferengi? I think they have, yeah. I don't know. I mean, like, I know they did in a book, but I don't know that they've ever done it, like, in canon. Good enough for me. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> we are the Borg. <laughs> Quark? <laughs> Resistance is useless, Quark. I mean, the the the, uh, the prophets assimilated a Ferengi. <laughs> but that's not the same thing. Resistance is inconceivable. <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> All right. Anything else? Uh, I think that's everything. Yeah. I this is a good one. Wrote... I liked it. You should watch yeah. it. I mean, you you liked it a bit more than I did, but I quite liked it. Yep. Um. So, yeah, hopefully Ron Moore's other one won't be terrible and then he quits. Would be nice. He rage quits because, like, what, what are you doing with this show? Damn it, Brandon. And those guys were not friends as as close friends anymore. After no, that. They, I know they stopped making movies together, and they definitely don't work on the same TV shows anymore. No, and <laughs> they both work on TV shows I don't want to watch. Yeah, 
but different TV shows. <laughs> Ask Amanda if she's seen Outlander yet. I know. We just talked about that during the supplemental. Oh, that's right. She absolutely hates uh, <laughs> that uh, that author, so probably not. I might actually give it a look just out of curiosity, because like I say, Ron Moore runs it, and uh, Iris Stephen Bear writes for it. Mm. Uh, that's a pretty good team. For what I know about those books, it's very rapey. Uh, I don't love that. No. That's why I stopped watching Game of Thrones. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, that's all for this week. Uh, Next week, our pal Flonk will be joining us for the excellently titled... What is it? I want to get this right because it's it's kind of a complicated title. Mm. Uh, Tinker Tenor Doctor Spy. That's a... Certainly a title. I I mean, you know what they're going for. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, you know... Look, for some of the titles we have coming up, there's an episode called Dragon Teeth. God, I hope that's about what I think it is. Dragon Teeth. I I don't know. I want to see Seven fight a dragon. The Haunting of Deck 12. I can't wait for The Haunting of Deck 12. That sounds terrible. And uh, Live Fast and Prosper. Ah. Which we actually, we weren't sure if that might have been a... um, uh, oh, Fast the, and Furious yeah. reference, but we looked it up and those movies were being made at that point, so it might be. Yep. So look forward to all of that for season six. Uh-huh. All of that and so much more. Uh-huh. Until then. See ya, folks. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Copyright 2016. Please don't sue us, we're just doing this.